Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The first guest of the evening is truly a poet. He's an artist. He is a friend and an inspiration to anyone who I think who has ever played the guitar uh, or tried to write poetry. Would you please welcome Gordon Lightfoot? It's so easy to live with no fear or deceit, but sometimes I think maybe I have skipped a beat. The road I chose was not all it should be, but sometimes it was oh so sweet. This is Carefree Highway Revisited, the show that celebrates the work of Gordon Lightfoot song by song, brought to you by the Western Skies Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mike Messner, and along with me today, making her return to Carefree Highway Revisited is Deb Radwan. Deb, thank you so much and welcome back to the show. Thanks, Mike. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me back. I'd like to just start talking about the song that we're discussing today, which is Oh So Sweet. This is off of Gordon's most recent album, Solo. Right. And I wanted to begin by just saying, what does the song mean to you personally? I mean, I have my own thoughts, but I'd like to let you have first crack at it. Why do you find this one so enjoyable? When I first heard this, and almost every time since, I cry when I hear it. It is this beautiful, retrospective, candid, and honest look at a life, at a career. And you hear the wistfulness in his voice, but yet he always comes back to, but sometimes it was oh so sweet. And this song just really, really got to me when Solo came out. It is by far my favorite song on the album. And as a matter of fact, I have requested before at my funeral, I was only going to have I'm Not Supposed to Care. And now I have added this one. I want this one at my funeral as well. I just think it is just beautiful. Yeah, I actually have the same thought that I might want it played the actual mm-hmm. recording, you know, while right, watching a, a slideshow of my life or something like that. Yeah. yeah. I think you pretty much said it all. I mean, this is somebody who's coming to the end of his life. Mm-hmm. Um, this may very well be his last album. And it's disarmingly honest, as opposed to something that is kind of blustery, like, you know, I did it my way. Or right. You know, this right. is somebody who's pretty humble. Yes. About and very realistic as opposed to just saying, yeah, well, hmm, death. Right. Something like that. And I think that's why it was so it's so moving Mm -hmm. because he's laying all the cards out. There is a humbleness, there is a regret, but yet in the end, it was oh so sweet. It's just such a touching, moving song. I could get choked up just talking about it. (laughs) Well, do your best because we're gonna be talking about it for a few minutes here. To me, the best setting for listening to this song, and I've only heard it a few times, but for me, it would either be watching a sunset, realizing, okay, Mm -hmm. this is the ending of something, or getting up in the morning and driving somewhere with not very many cars on the road, 
maybe not really early in the morning, but, mm-hmm. you know, quiet enough, probably on a weekend where, you know, I can go for a right. decent amount of time without seeing very many other cars, very little traffic and have it turned up enough so that it really just, you know, seeps into my soul. Right. What about you? What's the best setting for you? Well, I listen to a lot of music in the car. And generally, that is my favorite place to hear any song. This song, though, like I said, every time I hear it, I get choked up. So probably not the car, although, you know, that's (laughs) fine. But, you know, I think I like to hear it when I'm feeling a little reflective, sitting on the beach, looking out at the waves, some kind of a quiet time. Um, whether it's sitting in the garden or sitting in my house or when you just have that quiet time to reflect a little bit. Very evocative song, as probably as evocative as anything he's ever written. Now, Deb, what do you know about the genesis of this song? This is fairly recent album. It was just last year. So what do you know about either this song or the genesis of the solo album? I did try and do a little research on it because it is such a new album And because COVID hit and then he had injuries and, you know, there just hasn't been a lot of opportunity for him to get out there and perform or talk about it or whatever. But my understanding is that he was cleaning out his office and he found some of these old tunes that he had recorded and decided that he wanted to put some of them on an album and give them a a new recording, but he didn't want to necessarily get the band involved because he knew that would take too long. And again, I think, especially because because the songs, and particularly this one, is so reflective, and even he is saying, I knew to put in orchestration, it would delay the release of this. You almost wondering if he's thinking about his time left and that he wants to finish this. You know, hopefully we'll have him for years and years and years, but I'm sure that his age, it's something that's on his mind. And when you start a big project like this, there is a need to move it through. And these songs, I think, are really well suited to that individual acoustic sound because they are so personal. They are so intimate. Uh, some of them are very raw. You know, I, I think it's the song is a perfect example. I don't know that I hear this song with a lot of orchestration around it. I think it's perfect the way it is. So uh, yeah. that's what I understand about the genesis of the the album. Now, had he actually recorded the songs, like put them on a cassette or something, or had he just written the charts? Do you know? I think he had just written them out because the way it sounded, and I could be totally off base on this, but the way it sounded was I wanted to put them to music and get in the studio and record them. So I don't know. I'm not sure, but that was the impression I had. Okay, great. Well, let's look at the lyrics because they are very simple and very beautiful lyrics, like most of his good stuff is. I read the beginning of it and then picking up, sometimes I remember hearing raindrops fall, feeling my love breathing alongside of me. And the first thing I thought of was looking at the rain. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, he has only written two or three songs that talk about rain really specifically. Rainy Day People is one, Looking at the Rain, Early Morning Rain. Right. But Looking at the Rain was the one that really came to mind about that because it is contemplative in a way that the others aren't. You know, there's something about rain that is a little moody. 
I don't know the right word for it, but it's the right kind of setting for this kind of song. If he had said, you know, sometimes I remember the sun shining bright, and you know, that's not the right mood or ambiance for what he's saying. So, you know, I don't know quite how to word it. It's difficult to say how it would sound if he was talking about the sunshine, although now I'm getting John Denver, you know, going. (laughs) It ain't easy to live with no tears of regret, but sometimes it was oh so sweet. And it kind of makes me wonder, does Lightfoot live with tears of regret? Because by his own admission, he's made a lot of mistakes in his personal life. And it makes me wonder how much he's reconciled himself to those mistakes. I mean, to hear this song, it seems like he's at least acknowledged some of them. Do you have an angle on that? You know, I think he does. Just from the way he writes his music, you know that he feels things and sees things deeply. And even in the documentary, he talked about he had regrets. He know he hurt people. He doesn't want to sing that one song anymore because of how it must have made his wife feel. So I I do think he lives with some regrets. And, you know, it sounds from the song like he has them in perspective um, because ultimately it was oh so sweet. But I think he's owning up to, you know, I was not perfect. I I have regrets over some things that happened. And yet he says in the song, it ain't easy to live with no tears of regret. And it seems to me that it would be easy to live with with no tears of regret. Hmm. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, don't there's know. an interesting double negative on there. Yeah, but right. I, I think it's just kind of intriguing to think mm-hmm. about. There's a room in my soul where old hearts are at rest, the mention of which breeds only an empty nest. Now I've gone round and round with this, and I can't figure out exactly what it is he's trying to say. What do you think? I think there's a place inside of him where all those old loves and all those old relationships and all the people he cared about and maybe some of the people who have died are stored up, but they're gone. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even he talked in another interview about another song. He says, where are all the girls? You know, (laughs) where are all the girls? They're gone. So I think he has a place in his heart where He still holds on to those women that he loved and lost, people that he loved and lost through death or whatever, and they're gone, but it was still oh so sweet, you know. Gone but not forgotten. Yes. We'll be right back to our conversation with Deb Radwan about oh so sweet, but first, a word from one of our podcast partners. Hi, this is Audie Martello, the host of the Mostly Folk Podcast, a 60-minute foray into the music we all love. You will hear newly released albums, classic folk, country, and bluegrass music, as well as some traditional music that may or may not be true to the genre. Sometimes irreverent, often opinionated, but always entertaining. You may even hear a radio magic trick every so often, as well as numerous interviews via Zoom and telephone with established as well as indie artists. Mostly Folk is available wherever you listen to podcasts and always at mostlyfolk.org. And I know that he had a long period of trying to mourn the death of his father. 
in a proper way. And I think about Red and Terry. That's right. And other people that he's worked with from time to time. And I think he has maybe reconciled himself to those losses and disappointments because he says those hearts are at rest, whether that's death or it's been fixed. Old relationships have been mended as well as they can. To me, that's what it means. Yeah. And as I think of it, I mean, it's not only does it work so beautifully with the rhyming, but he's talking about, you know, I'll the memories of people who are actually no longer there. So all it is is memories. And he was just more sophisticated in talking about it like that. Go with the flow where society heeds, but sometimes it was oh so sweet. And I wonder, was he talking about going with the demands of popular culture at the time when his career started? I mean, he takes on the folk genre in the early 60s when it seems to be the O'Carrant thing after he's heard Bob Dylan and probably mm-hmm. some other folks go with the flow where society heeds. It almost sounds like he's talking about conformity. Yeah. And I've never thought of Lightfoot to be particularly conformist. I'm not sure about that line, but I kind of like where you're headed because I'll tell you, two stanzas down when we get there, the one that starts, oh, the less we believe in, the less we belong. Yes. I think it ties into that. Yeah, so I don't know if you want to talk about that now or not, but well, we'll get there. Okay. But yeah. Okay. Sometimes it was so, so kind of, yeah, I, I kind of like where you're going with that. Yeah. Healing in my dream world, ear close to the ground. I can hear the rumble of the things I love. And it's interesting that the healing is happening in his dream world yeah. and not in the real world. Yeah. So it makes me wonder, okay, is it only in dreams that he can be healed? And then is it his own healing he's talking about? Or is he dreaming of other people healing from the wounds that he's inflicted on them? I think because this song is mostly about his regrets, his life, his retrospective. He's talking about his healing. Mm -hmm. And I think in the dream world, there's nothing to interrupt that healing. When you're awake, then you beat yourself up. You say, what if you have regrets? You you remember things that were said. You have anger still. You know, maybe there isn't the forgiveness there should be. All those things you think of when you're awake and when you're asleep, all that disappears. And that's where the healing comes. Yeah. David Crosby once said that when you are falling asleep, the busy mind gets out of the way. That's right. And the dream mind can sort of percolate through. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about his writing process, but it's really true that, you know, sleep has amazing healing powers anyway. And they're not just physical healing power. And you hear about people that talk about how I I worked on a problem all day. I couldn't figure it out. I fell asleep when I woke up with the answer. Or sometimes this has happened to me where I've had something that I would consider paranormal or spiritual or whatever Mm -hmm. happen to me in those moments just as I'm dropping off to sleep. And I've had some experiences with the other side, so to speak. But it happens in that space where the day trip is Mm -hmm. gone. And a lot of times I think that happens when we just have enough of the busy mind out of the way. Right. You know, that you get some sort of revelation, whether it's spiritual or logical or how you say it. That's right. Or healing. 
or healing. Yeah. yeah. It ain't easy to grieve over things said and done, but sometimes life was oh so sweet. And I just said, amen. Yeah. It is very difficult and very painful to grieve over things that you can't undo and you mm-hmm. can't take back. Right. It fits perfectly in with the spirit of this song. But then the other side of it, again, as you said, he comes back to this idea that life had its sweet moments as well. That's right. So now That's what we I get... love about this song. There's this optimistic refrain throughout this whole song that even when he was down, even when he had hurt people, even when he was hurt, even when he has healing that he has to go through, there's always that positive, but oh, so sweet. Now we get to the verse that we were talking about a minute ago. Oh, the less we believe in, the less we belong. Let's all gather around so that we can carry on. The thing that I took away from this is that you have to believe in something if you want to find some sort of community. Because when you take a stand for whatever it is, if you have values that you're willing to hold Mm -hmm. on to and hold high, that you will find people who will come alongside you and that the ones that are the most nihilistic are the ones who are the loneliest. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, if you believe in nothing, okay, then you will be alone in that. And believe it or not, I thought of Bob Dylan because although I have immense respect for the man as a writer Mm -hmm. and as a musician, and he's certainly sold more records than Lightfoot, let's face it. Right. But I can't figure out what the man really believes in. I mean, he seems to have recreated himself over and over again. And his values are so inscrutable that I kind of wonder what is his life like right now? I mean, does he have a community that he can really belong to? But Gordon, we know does. Yeah. To me, this um, stanza was the most hard to interpret. It's kind of along what you're saying, but I was thinking of it in regard to his musical career, mm-hmm. that he was never really part of the folk movement. Maybe there was a period where he started out in that, but then he wrote songs that were very country, was never really in that country genre, never really accepted by that country genre. Then he wrote songs that were a little more poppy. And of course, I'm speaking of United States. I'm not sure about Canada, mm-hmm. but he never really seemed to fit into a niche. And that was why a lot of the radio stations had a problem playing his music and stuff because it wasn't folk, it wasn't pop, it wasn't country, it wasn't, you know, whatever. And when I read this, I thought, I wonder if he's talking about, especially that next line, stick to the mainstream and we'll be okay. But this was a little vague and maybe I'm stretching it, but I thought, Maybe because he didn't go all in on country or didn't define himself as a pop artist or a folk artist or country, that the less he belonged to any of them. Mm -hmm. Um, But he certainly has a community that's drawn to his music. I know it's a bit of a reach, but when I was looking at the song, I thought this is a retrospective on his life, his career. You know, maybe he is talking about his music where... He didn't quite buy into any one particular genre. You know, I hadn't thought about it until you mentioned that, but he really doesn't fit securely in any of those genres, okay? 
Although if there were any one that he fit into, I would say it would be folk music. Okay. Right. Because that's the biggest influence. Okay. But he's certainly not a full-on country singer. Right. He's not a full-on rock singer. He has elements of pop because otherwise he would have just been a big underground success, right. you know, but he wouldn't have sold very many records. And then there's, you know, adult contemporary, you know. Or, or easy uh, listening. Or easy listening, you know. But it doesn't really quite fit in any of those. And I, I think he wanted acceptance, but I don't think he ever wanted to say, I'm a country artist or I'm a folk artist. I think he just wanted to make good music. And as a result, maybe he didn't quite fit in one spot. You know, let's take a quick side trip here. Sure. Um, would you like to see Gordon inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Oh, absolutely. Okay, so would I. Even given the fact that he was not a full-on rock singer, although right. he made it, you know, on the rock charts. Correct. Rock is rhythm, and Gordon had and has impeccable sense of rhythm. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just is guitar playing alone speaks of that. The way that it's percussive, the way that he plays his 12 string. It was one of the reasons why they didn't use live drummers on performance until the late 70s. They didn't mm -hmm. need to. You know, between him and Rick Haynes playing bass and John Stockfish early on, right. there was no reason to have a drummer. You had all the rhythm you needed right there. We'll be right back to our conversation with Deb Radwan about Oh So Sweet. But first, stepping away from folk music here for a second. When you're not listening to the music of Gordon Lightfoot, are you a fan of true crime, cults, paranormal experiences, conspiracies, and all things sinister? Then take a listen to Sinister Story Hour, a podcast focusing on macabre and monstrous events in the recent past and the not-so-recent. Hostess Stephanie Lynn tells true stories of events that are ghastly, gruesome, but most of all, great fun. That's Sinister Story Hour, available wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to Carefree Highway Revisited. Let's all gather around so that we can carry on. And when I thought of that, I mean, gathering around implies coming together and implies being in one place at one time. And the thing I thought of was solidarity. And that is a huge tenet of the folk tradition in a way that you don't necessarily have in mm -hmm. other genres, Correct. which is why I keep coming back to this idea that he doesn't neatly fit into any one category, but if you had to categorize him, mm -hmm. it would be folk. Stick to the mainstream and we'll be okay. You kind of ran ahead of me on that, but that right. was great because if he had chosen to, I am going to do full on rock. I'm going to do full on country. Right. I'm just going to do pop stuff. But I don't think he would have been completely satisfied with any exactly. just staying in those lanes. Right. Uh, and so he's had to cut his own way, you know, across those genres. And he's paid for it. That's right. But he's real. Yeah. And he is way, as real as you can get for somebody standing up on stage with an acoustic guitar. That's right. And the way it's written here, stick to the mainstream and we'll be okay. But that but is like, they said, stick to the mainstream and we'll be okay. But sometimes it was oh so sweet, meaning didn't necessarily do that. No, he didn't. And it was still oh so sweet. Sometimes I remember seeing starlight fade back when life was still only a mystery. 
And seeing starlight fade, what does that mean? The sun's coming up. And I thought of his publishing company, Early Morning Music. Now, see, Um, I thought it followed that last one, starlight meaning stardom. I remember seeing my starlight fade back when life was just a mystery. So here he is up at the height of his career with, you know, sundown, rainy day people, the rack, and then he sees his star fading. It could be that. And then the next piece of it makes me think that he's talking about a particular point in his life, you know, back when life was still only a mystery. And I think when we're young, there is much more mystery to life than there is when we get older. So what I'm thinking, there may be some element of his stardom here, but the idea that he's actually getting up very, very early in the morning, or maybe he's been up all night and he's young enough where he can still do that. And he gets up and he's watching the dawn and he's inspired and he writes, maybe he wrote Minstrel of the Dawn while the sun was coming up, you know, Mm. because that's one that I absolutely adore. Mm. And I hope I get to do it on the show sometime. And maybe he sees life now as something other than a mystery as he's closing out his career. Well, my personal take is that he's looking back retrospectively at his career. He's seeing There was a time when his star was fading and when life still, he hadn't figured out how it all worked. And now here he is at 82, looking back and he sees how it all works. And there's Uh, less mystery to it. And there is less mystery to it. And you're absolutely right. With the youth and you're at the top of your game and you you don't understand all the things that can happen, Mm -hmm. how life can change so quickly. And, you know, even with his aneurysm going through that things can change. And then the last line, wasn't it good? Wasn't it bad or the best you ever had? But sometimes it was oh so sweet. Perfect, perfect way to sum up the whole song. Yeah. Now the song did appear on Solo, which is his most recent album, may very well be his last one. You talked about why he didn't orchestrate it. Uh, and the sensitivity that he had to time, both the time Mm -hmm. it would take for the production and his own limited time you know he didn't say that but i i wonder if that no right he did not actually although he did say we're not getting any younger yes he did so he might as well have got it so yes that's true i'm going to read you something that allmusic.com said in reviewing this album and i'd like your take on it okay okay and it said and i'm quoting here Solo, the album, bears a certain resemblance to Lightfoot early albums of the 60s for United Artists, focused squarely on the man and his songs. Solo feels like it takes Lightfoot full circle from his 1966 debut album. The lyric and melodic structures are remarkably similar. His decision to cut these songs in the simplest manner is one that works. He may sound weaker than he used to, but he's also not fighting a band for attention. It's not hard to imagine that Solo will be Gordon Lightfoot's final album, and if it is, it's a simple but satisfying summation of his life in music, his gifts stripped to their essentials and still proving to be effective despite the march of time. Well, I do think that it is kind of full circle, you know, certainly starting out as he did, him and his guitar, pretty much finishing up with an album that's him and his guitar. Very simple tunes, but extraordinarily beautiful. I think he's right about not having to compete with a band on this. I think that was a good decision for these songs. 
I hope it's not his last album, but it could be that song. Yeah, it's that song. Let's back away from it for a second. Mm -hmm. What is your favorite musical aspect with the understanding that there's relatively little to choose from? I mean, compared to some of the songs that we've talked about on the show, is it the melody? Is it the guitar? Is it his voice? Well, I'm a word person. I always go for the lyrics first. So these lyrics touched me greatly, but it is his voice. His voice, even though it's changed throughout the decades, his voice, and even this was mentioned in the documentary, that it is his voice. There is a resonance with his voice that no one has been able to imitate or copy. And with this song in particular, I almost feel like we're sitting down having a conversation about his life and his music career. We would be talking very intimately, not whispering, but low, and there would just be that voice. And that voice is, you can sense that the man is still in there um, and the, the gift is still in there and the spirit is still in there. Although the voice is more whispery, you know, and that's to be expected right. you know, for somebody at that age. Mm-hmm. But I can still hear the depth of it, if not the exact timbre than it was in the past. I can tell you that for me, the guitar on this sounds so fresh, like he had just bought it with brand new strings, okay? And he just sat down after bringing it home from the music store and he tuned it up and he just started playing it. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a testament, assuming that he did not just literally just buy that guitar. I mean, the fact that he takes care of his instruments so well. And he practices every day. And he practices every day and, you know, goes into a room in his house Mm -hmm. as that we saw that in the documentary. That and the melody, because the melody has enough teeny little turns where you can hear just a dash of jazz in it and a dash of some sort of hymn or something like that. And it all blends together Mm -hmm. really, really well. Those are the things that I like about it the most. But he's played this song just once in concert, okay? And that was uh, last December at El Macombo in Toronto. And as we sit here, this is October 6th, we're recording. No one has covered it as of right now. I could only think of one person that I would really like to hear record this other than Gordon himself, and it would be Willie Nelson, Mm -hmm. because I think he's got a gift for that kind of melody, and I think he could make it sound really cool. I thought about, are there any female artists that I would like to hear cover this? And none jumped out at me, but if you've thought of any, then, you know, I'd love to hear about it. Not female, but when I thought about this question... It would certainly have to be someone older who would have that same kind of wisdom and similar experiences. And really, the only ones I thought of were Chris Christopherson or Johnny Cash, if he were still alive. Sure. Because they have that raw quality to their voice. And with just them and a guitar, there would be that same purity. That's out there for me because... No one comes close to Gordon for of me. Of course not. Of course not. <laughs> and and Willie Nelson, I think, would be another good one. But they've got to be up there and have seen a lot, mm-hmm. made mistakes, you know, but still had a great perspective on the life they've lived. I put in my notes that no one under 40 should ever sing this song. 
Oh, see, I was thinking no one under 60. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, at least you'd need to have some seasoning. Although another person that I thought of as you were thinking of, Graham Nash, would sound very good singing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Maybe even David Crosby, because David Crosby has had the life experience that this song talks about. Oh, different, but, you know. Different and more dangerous in some yes. ways. So I, I would have to think about whether I could hear Cross doing it, but mm-hmm. I definitely, now, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. could definitely do this. Right. Okay. Deb, are there any other thoughts you have on this song as we're kind of wrapping up here that we haven't talked about so far? No, I adore this song. This is way up there. Like I said, I want to play this at my funeral and I'm just really happy I got through this without crying. <laughs> because it really touches me. It really gets to me. Deb Radwan, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. It's always a joy. And thanks for listening, everybody. If you liked this well enough to listen to the whole thing, tell somebody about it. Carefree Highway Revisited is on Apple, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can reach me, Mike Messner, at teachermike72 at gmail.com. Deb will be back in the next week or so. She and I will be discussing Gordon's song, A Painter Passing Through, as we continue this series of autobiographical songs by Gordon Lightfoot. And then also I'll have Kevin Hester back on the show very soon, and he and I will be picking up on our conversation of I'm Not Supposed to Care. So until then, this is Mike Messner reminding you, run for the roses, but don't forget to stop and smell them. We'll see you next time. Run for the roses, but don't forget to stop and smell them. We'll see you next time. It's so easy to live with no fear or deceit. But sometimes I think maybe I have skipped a beat. The road I chose was not all it should be. But sometimes it was also sweet. Sometimes I remember hearing raindrops fall